And as I call in the east, I walk into the stream. And as I call in the south, I bring water to my mouth. And as I call in the west, the creek swallows my chest. And as I call in the north, I am swallowed by her source. Hello everyone and welcome to Rio Cosmico, a podcast about healing. The Rio Cosmico podcast is brought to you by Rio Cosmico Homestead, our seasonal ceremonial microvillage and library of earth magic. I'll be your host, Yaya Erin Rivera Merriman, and as always, gracias, hahom, goramayagat. Thank you for listening. Today we are joined by somatic therapist, life coach, whole food nutritional counselor, father, and the musician behind our podcast intro music, Luis Mojica. Welcome, Luis. We're so happy to finally be able to connect in this space. Thank you, my friend. It's so funny. I've been introducing your podcast all this time, you know, with the song. It's nice to be here live with you. You know, I I love the ways that we can just keep weaving if everyone's open, if it's going well. Thank you. So I'd love to start this conversation today by just asking if you would share with us about your ancestry and your preferred pronouns. Yeah, it's such a good question. This might be a dive. The ancestry part's easy, actually, but the pronoun part is the interesting answer. So ancestry, so uh, Irish, Taino, Boricua, North African Berbers, German, and a little bit of Spanish. Those are my ancestors that I'm aware of at this point in my life. Maybe I just interrupt there to say that we have almost exactly the same ancestry, and it's just amazing to me how this works. So moving on. I love that. Yeah. Pronoun thing is so hard for me. I I go by he, him, his. However, I love not even having any. I love hearing what people think I am. You know, there's a lot of times people like refer to me as they, them. And I light up when I hear that, you know, he, him, she, her, like whatever they feel, it, it excites me to experience that. I never really request one. But I, I do he, him with myself, it tends to be. Mm-hmm. I also am really comfortable and happy with she, her, but also they, them. But I find that it's a little confusing when I say that because I don't mean it maybe in the gender binary way. I mean it in the sense that I feel that I'm um, a community of beings, you know, and, you know, the, the one that's see, like that you can see is the one that people think is me. But um, it, yeah, so it's like, that's, that's definitely the word, but it, uh, it doesn't help me communicate with other people around the pronoun issue. And um, I had a woman in circle once say, he, her, she, them, it, anything said with love. And I just, to me, it was like, wow, like she nailed it for me because, you know, we're going to talk about the nervous system and trauma and capacity, uh, maybe a bunch in this episode. And I feel like that really represents, especially for people that have had issues around their gender and sexuality to 
get to the point where you're like, meh, it doesn't really matter. I'm kind of excited to experience like what you think shows like a dramatic increase in capacity for presence Mm -hmm. and spontaneity and like shows like healing has occurred and that there's life after the trauma of, you know, being misunderstood. I think that's so brilliant. The first part when you were saying all the beings inside of you, it, it's kind of, that's exactly how I experience the they, them, or whatever pronoun comes through. It's like, as that person's experienced me, that's the fragment of myself in that moment. And so I find a lot of healing, especially for my, the way I developed with a lot of gender trauma, sexual trauma. When I go into he, his, it's like, that's my drag. It's like so funny mm-hmm. to me that I'm a man. <laughs> so like he, his, is just so interesting to me, but I've never identified with even being a man. It's too much identity for me. I like that because that is something I've said before is like that being a woman is my favorite garment in my closet. Mm-hmm. Because I earned it. It's not um, from the junk fashion the fast fashion you know 99 cents on amazon it's like like it's a ceremonial garment that was in my case i will just speak for myself earned through a series of very rigorous initiations and i would even say suffered to get to have the fullest possible experience of of what woman is so i'm proud of that But I do think that I'm a cosmic goo, if I'm really honest, you know? (laughs) I couldn't have said it better myself. That's right. Yeah. So, of course, I want to say that if anybody, like, doesn't feel comfortable with someone express, like, referring to them by a pronoun that doesn't feel comfortable for them, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not implying that there's somewhere to get to on a healing journey where you won't care. It's just everyone's allowed to have preferences. That's right. But then... I do want to hear some of your own language for like how you describe your true nature to yourself when you're talking with yourself, when you're in the privacy of your own personal mythological universe and not necessarily needing to do it in such a way that other people understand what the fuck you're talking about. (laughs) It's such a, a big, beautiful question. You know, it's like, it's even hard to explain in language, isn't it? If I think of music, so I'm a musician, when I play music or when I'm being played by music, that's the moment I feel most authentic. It, and it's so mm. cheesy. It's like so cliche, but it's because it lacks the language. It lacks the barrier of like a binary of even, even to put a word on it is like so much containment, but to just have the vibration come through, it's just, it's lawless, isn't it? And there's something about that mm. that's really it feels very right. So that's how I experience myself all the time. Like when, mm-hmm. again, when you said the many beings within always experiencing the many parts coming through, it's not like one Louise. It's like an endless trail of cosmos just unfurling before my mind and eyes. I dig it. Thank you. So I want, I want to move on, but I also want to linger for a minute on some of this, like just language. Cause Language is kind of the way that that endless trail or, you know, our our school, our homestead is Rio Cosmico. And like what I have experienced, that cosmic river in this world often is through words. So just linger for a moment on endless trail and lawless and experience. I, I just have to say, when you said something, it kind of came up in me, like when I use the word lawless, 
I think a lot of people see that as chaos and I can, mm-hmm. I can get that for me. It's more about like, there's no rule to what I'm allowed to love. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. there's no boundary to what I can love within myself. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean by lawless. I heard it as I just connected it with moments in my life or memories of, of like looking around, like doing something that I'm like, Oh, I've never done this before. Is it okay? And looking around mm-hmm. and be like, no one else around even cares one way <laughs> or another. They're all so in their own center and the freedom of those kind of spaces. So I heard like freedom, liberation, spacious, like creative exploration. That's um, right. That's right. But I liked your word, especially. So we always like to begin by grounding our guests' current level of awesomeness within their human experience, because we think it just, it's so common for people to be like, oh, like you're presenting with this really like holistic, complete vibration. So like you wouldn't understand like (laughs) what I've been through or whatever. And I just think it's such a shame. I, I would like that aspect of our perception of one another to just go away forever mm-hmm. um, I guess I'm calling mm-hmm. the, like, empathy to be more of like the, the norm and not the exception but um, we part of how we create that here or attempt to is um, just to hear if you're open time traveling a little bit to share uh, where you were born a little bit of culture of your childhood home or society and some of the challenges of your early life that you needed to overcome to become such an eloquent and compassionate guide for others who are serious about overcoming their traumas i love that because i also agree with this idea of there was this emergence of a perfect being from a cloud that teaches us something like to me, that's so such, such a colonized way of thinking of it. So when you're saying to ground it, I mean, Oh goodness. My story is amazing to me when I try and travel and I do it often because it just amazes me. It's like this movie that I get to watch over and over. I would say it, it there's two major parts of my story. I'm learning more and more. One is the body I was born into, which also, which happens to do with my gender and sex and the cultural body I was born into. Those two are huge for me when I think about all the trauma I endured and then how I understand people and trauma now. I don't think it could have happened if I wasn't born into that body. So the first layer, when I talk about gender and sex, I was born with an intersex expression. And so I, my body made a ton of estrogen, more than any male would make. And when I was around eight, nine, 10 years old, I started developing hips and I started developing breasts. And I got into this full on, it felt like a female puberty, right? In those ways, there's a lot of ways I didn't experience that because I do have a penis, but there was specifically the way my bones were shifting and my tissues and the hormones growing my breasts and the way my brain experienced things around me was very, what we would call feminine. And to be in Southern Pennsylvania, which is where I was born, and to be in a culture that was extremely homophobic, like we're talking like the late 80s and the 90s, it was not cool to be androgynous. It was not cool to be non-binary. There was no um, words for it even. People didn't even have the word intersex. They said, oh, you'll it, they will go away when you hit puberty. So then I hit puberty, what would be male puberty, and they didn't go away. They got bigger. My breasts got bigger and nothing changed the way I thought it was going to. 
So there was this huge feeling and sensation of um, betrayal of my body. I didn't understand this. I felt very alone. And then the, what was so interesting about the people around me is everyone I, I came in touch with who was a man or a young boy hated me, vehemently opposed me because I had these breasts and I had this feminine disposition. So interestingly enough, uh, in this body I'm in now, I, I had experienced forms of misogyny, you know, which is very unique for most men in, in America to actually experience what it's like to be violated, to be sexually assaulted, to be touched, to be laughed at, to be prodded, you know, day after day after day after day because of your body. And I internalized all that into like intense self-hatred, right? And that would create a downward spiral from probably the fifth grade. So I was like 10 or 11 until I was 16, just a, a self-hating suicidal spiral of just absolute agony, never wanting to be seen, not wanting to be touched, not wanting to see myself in the mirror, just trying to become invisible. And I managed all that pain with food, like excessive amounts of food. So I gained excessive amounts of weight. And I had cystic acne and I had really intense asthma. I was on a breathing machine twice a day so I could breathe. I, very high cholesterol, pre-diabetic. I would pass out. Like I had intense autoimmune conditions. I was like suffering at such a young age. And then one day I discovered I liked to play music. So I got this guitar and I strummed it. And I didn't understand this until this last year when the vibrations of the guitar you know, expanded through the body of this instrument. I was holding the instrument against my breasts, this area that had experienced so much violation and self-hatred and external hatred. And this music, this non-binary energy and force just going right into my breasts, right? It was this uncoupling that occurred where something around vibration and touch and being seen, again, even being seen by sound waves, it felt safe. And it was like the first time something touching that part of my body felt safe and I was able to embody it. And it was a huge shift in my entire life from that point to this point I'm before you. Then this cultural piece that was that mimics the gender sex piece was being born to a mixed family, Puerto Rican immigrants, who were so self-hating of their lineage because all the racism like my grandfather endured when he came to Pennsylvania, like intense amounts of racism. And so he's decided I'm going to cut my family off from my culture. And he literally, when I think of the segregation in the household, I remember sitting in the kitchen and seeing my grandma make him his indigenous food in one pot and make us like, you know, grilled cheese and hot dogs in the other. And they weren't allowed to mix. Like we weren't allowed to take on his culture because he had overcoupled that with, with violation, you know, and, and violence. So to grow up in this like intense gray place with gender, with sex, with race, culture, I was in so in the middle, there was nowhere I fit in, you know, for many, 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 many years. That was the initial cause of my pain and my loss of identity and not understanding where I was in the world and even enduring, again, hatred from other people. And it was also the source of this beautiful work I do now because I've gotten so comfortable being in that place of the unknown and being okay not having an identity and being able to sit in front of other people's intense trauma 
and having capacity for it because of all those years that I went through myself. That's like the simple version. So I'll pause there and see what's coming up for you. Yeah. There was a moment of me being like, oh yeah, like some of the pieces of your story I share and then some of them I don't. So just like, oh wait, like I haven't been to those depths of myself. Am I going to like go off the cliff right now on air, you know? <laughs> and of course, just using my tools and holding space to receive your story because that ultimately is like what interests me, what excites me is, is to be able to breathe when my own little ding, 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 like level of sensation starts to go up enough to have the capacity to meet you. So yeah, that's what was coming up for me. And I, I do just, I think it's important for people to, I guess when I have people on the show, there's a way in which I don't want people to just like hear you and connect with you. Cause I think you're great. Like I have like a horse in the race of some kind where I'm like, I want people to see you as I see you. So there's a little bit of like guiding a journey through the layers where I do take, well, I do allow myself and my perception to like be more a part mm. of whatever we're creating. Yeah. So thank you for being willing to speak to those deep layers of past and then, you know, fast forward a little bit, but still time traveling here. I first learned about you and your work over 12 years ago in New York City when you began to first began to date my first witch wife, which is a term I've developed since then. It wasn't something, a mythology we shared at the time, but that I used to describe those dharmic and emotionally intense mythological long-term life-sharing relationships that can form between wise weirdos on this good green road. So by your facial features and just the fact that you're Puerto Rican and Puerto Rican's a tiny island, I immediately knew that you're a member of my actual extended blood family, whether or not we can trace that or not. There was just a knowing. And so a knowing that you had maybe a little more consciousness about like what this family, where this family is really from is my understanding. There's like people always marvel at how many Irish Puerto Ricans there are. And I don't marvel because I know from in my own questing that we come from a similar region of the galaxy and that this particular series of cultures to come through represents a particular kind of initiation. So mm. it, then it creates a particular kind of being that is, you know, a multidimensional, multicultural spectrum being that you know, is here as my my dear sister Paula, who has returned to the stars, used to always say, like, here for our healing and the healing of the world. And that was her language. And it was always a little epic for me. But as since she's passed, I've been able to sit with it and just be like, can't really say it better. So I'm trying to get comfortable with the the grand grandiosity of, of that. Because I could also say it's just clarity if I was to not be assessing. So you were working as an herbalist in the city's health food stores and making music and diving deep into these realms of self-expression and self-healing. So I've always experienced almost a panic attack at the notion that there could be a music industry. And I feel so threatened and offended by how judgmental and unsupportive humans can be around others' expression of our innate musicality. 
And so for me, your music has always epitomized the other side of that spectrum, how confounding and confusing and confronting it can be for some people to hear music that wasn't shaped by an industry or that was made for a, let's say, less egoic reason like fun or education or healing. And so I'd love to hear you speak about your first album, which is where I first made contact with your music, and it's called Anesthesia. I'd just love to hear, you know, I think you've touched on some of the experiences that inspired you to write the songs. So how did that shift from kind of being in the experiences to wanting to create something an offering or something, if you could say there's like the pain and there's suffering and there's the process of maybe like transmuting that, but you know, just what shifted that was like, okay, I'm going to create something from this and it's going to be, I mean, I think it's medicinal. I don't know if that was your intention at the time and just what it's been like to be out in the world, have these albums out in spaces like Bandcamp and with strangers stumbling upon what I view as intensely personal narrations of these underworld initiation, shamanic rebirth kinds of experiences. I mean, I'm just so full just hearing how you see me, you know, like um, I, I'm so touched. I love when you were saying, I just have to rewind when you were saying about like the multicultural experience and you know, when I think about that, I always think like, what a greedy spirit I was, where I just wanted to see how many lands I could be <laughs> stretched across, you know, because it's, I, like, I just love the earth so much. And it's so appalling and profane and strange to me to even think anything or anyone could be separate, like different. Yes, separate. No. And so for me to, to be stretched, you know, for my blood to be stretched across as, as yours, all these continents and and to see my nose, you know, in my abuelo and to see like the way I wrap my hair in my Berber ancestors and the markings that I intuitively put on my face. It's incredible to me just that all those lands are moving through me as I sit here and breathe. So for me, it's like such a privilege. I love being multicultural. I love it. And I love just what you're saying about certain certain frequencies and spirits initiating themselves that way. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous way to see it. And I never thought of it that way. You know, my music was, I, I would say, again, such an integral part of this whole journey for me, because like I said, music was the first thing that kind of brought me into my body in a safe way when I was really at the edge of life, like leaving life, it felt like. So music became this place where I could go to, where there were no rules, there was no gender there were no politics. There was no like realm of normalcy or physical limitation, right? Like in the material world, it was this complete dreamscape. Like I could just touch into whenever I wanted to. And because I was highly dissociative for so long, it served me because it was this place to leave this realm and go to and really enjoy being my full spectrum self, right? Through these songs and through these creations. So I spent a good decade just nonstop writing music. I think I wrote like 300 songs that were never released, just processing and processing and processing. And when I say processing through music, I really mean like meeting parts of myself, you know, like a song or a melody or something comes through and then a part of myself awakens. And it was like, how many parts are in there? It was like endless parts mm -hmm. coming up. It's was, it was still to this day, right? It hasn't stopped. Anesthesia was so important for me. 
because I wrote it after I had top surgery. So first of all, what's interesting about you and I is I remember being on the L train. Like I was living in Brooklyn on off the Halsey stop and I was getting on the L train to go to the village for whatever reason. And I saw you, I didn't know you, but I had, I saw it was before I even knew Amen. I saw you across, right? You were directly across from me. And I just remember seeing the first thing that took my eyes onto you were the arrows running up and down your leg, your, you know, your shins, um, your tattoos. And I remember thinking, I know that, like, I know this person. And I looked to you and you gave me this beautiful, sweet gaze with your eyes. Then you looked down and went back into yourself. And I just remember feeling like a connection, you know, that I don't always feel on, on the L train. <laughs> like there's those beautiful moments of eye contact and like misconnections. Remember that little Craigslist thing. But, but there was this moment with you. <laughs> there was this moment with you. Where I was like, oh, that's a sister. Like there's something going on there. And then fast forward, like months later, I met Eamon and I remember she took me to your home and I forget where you were. I don't know if you were off Bedford or something, but I remember we went to your little loft and it was the moment I walked in, I saw you. I'm like, that's the one, that's my sister. So I thought it was really interesting that happened. I just had to throw that out. But when I met you at that time, you know, I was still hiding the fact that I had breasts. I had developed this whole like incredible wardrobe <laughs> that covered them up. It was like a vest and a <laughs> scarf and a whole a long beard and a whole bunch of necklaces. Yes, yes. It was like this gorgeous look that was actually a part of me. It was very authentic. And it served to completely cover up having breasts and to distract people from any part of that part of my body. Like what you just said, there were eight or nine garments around my neck, like keeping anyone from even imagining there could be breasts there. And being so male presenting in my face, it was no one would ever think in a million years. So for me, I lived very comfortably like that for a while. And then your witch wife, my witch wife now, Amen, something in her spirit, I will never know what it is to this day, evokes such an authenticity out of me. Like I can't hide from her. And Aww. I was a master of hiding. Like mm. I always think of the Leonard Cohen song, Stranger Song. And that was me most of my life. Giving people the fragments of me I wanted them to see and keeping mm. the truth of me really close to me, like my own gooey, like self-loveness. But no one else allowed to have it. But Eamon started evoking this out of me. And I'll never forget laying in bed next to her, going into like a panic attack because I knew I had to tell her I was born with breasts. And I had never told anyone my entire life. No one knew except for my mother and my father. And so yeah. I, I told her, and I remember she just held me and she's like, that's it? <laughs> it was like after hours of like crying and building up to it. She's like, I thought you were going to tell me you killed someone. I thought you were going to tell me like your name isn't actually Louise. <laughs> like, all these, like all these things. And then when I told her, she was so like, that's a beautiful. That's amazing. Like, I don't, I love you even more now. And it was like, what? However, I still wasn't okay with that part of myself. So I mm -hmm. opted for top surgery. And after I emerged from the anesthesia from top surgery, I got in touch with, I think I went to another place, you know, under, under the knife. And that other place took me to these Taino relatives and my Irish ancestors and different like tribes that helped me tell the story in those 10 songs of like my extremely complicated relationship with identity and gender and culture and sex. 
And when mm-hmm. you wrote me an email after you sent it to you, I think, and you sent me an email saying, or maybe you sent it to Eamon, it was like, this album is, is really touching me. It's uniting all the genders. You were the first person that even understood what it was about, you know, next to Eamon, because I didn't mm-hmm. promote it. I didn't tell, it was so steeped in mythology because I was still so closeted. Um, I wasn't like, I was born with an intersex expression. Like no one even knew it was about me. But you felt that too. And I I was always really touched by that. So that album helped me in a very psychedelic way understand this internalized misogyny against the woman in me and how I had picked that up from being bathed in colonization, from being raped, from being assaulted, from being hated, for having female features. Like how crazy is that? And so it kind of came to a head where I realized I have to actually hold and grieve with all these parts that I've killed in me and hurt in me. And it it was was really like a witch's story about how to reclaim the land that is your body, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I hope to, if the, the path of this conversation continues to arc in the direction where I'm hoping to end up, then we'll go more into what I mean by, by what I'm about to say extensively, but it just, in case it goes in a different direction, I want to take a moment to, share from my perspective like what why it is that because I do feel like I hear your music in a different way than other people because I've tried to share it with just other people who like music or like whatever just witchy stuff and I've been kind of puzzled by the broad spectrum of responses that is not the same as my response and I think it relates to that piece around industry and genres are compartments and containers and you're creating music from this place that is has broken down a lot of those compartments and containers within yourself. And so there's a tantric saying that something that amounts to something. It's kind of saying consciousness cannot withstand form. But when I heard it, I immediately just reverted it. And it was like form cannot withstand consciousness. Of mm. course, consciousness mm. is eternal. Form is temporary. Whoever even wrote that was only halfway there because they were still <laughs> coming from like um the norm being the time-bound linear expressions of consciousness. So since we have known each other or since any of the last times that we would have talked in social settings, I've gone really deep into certain explorations and kind of have this language now for Matangi Shakti, what it actually is, but Matangi is the medicine woman, like some of her forms. So it's what, you know, Eamon would definitely be that archetype. And it's like the forest dwelling Chandali class. So the Chandalis were the street sweepers and the people who would clean the bodies or Bert in Mary Poppins, the relationship to the goddess where the goddess loves them and they have a lot of fun together, but other people can't imagine like how they could be in the same room. So considered, you know, the untouchables and just lower caste. But if you've ever gone to the woods for music and dancing and reveling under the moonlight or being in peace or connecting with the animals, then you know that people who are living that way don't give a crap what people in the cities think about them and think about where they fit on some made-up caste system. So from an easy way to explain like what Matangi Shakti is, is a tantric wisdom goddess version, you could say, of Saras. So if you write, if you make music, 
music, if you play instruments, if you're a poet, then you know her intimately by other names, probably, unless you've studied Tantra or from India. But even in India, these are kind of considered, oh, no, those are inauspicious temples. Those are some scary wish shit. Mm -hmm you know? Mm-hmm. So kind of learning that that's my archetype is a sacred outcast or like the person who like outcasts themselves if society momentarily forgets and makes them trendy or popular <laughs> because they just cannot resist the call of the wild places. So I feel that there's in that time when we would have first met, I didn't have any other language for this. I was still so deep in my trauma. I remember when you came to my house that time, I felt like a connection and I felt threatened by it because I was Mm. still at a place where I didn't even look someone in the eye. My intimacy issues were so deep. So it was like, I don't know what to do because I feel this connection, but I can't even look a person in the eye. And so it just took took a lot of time for me Mm -hmm. to just get comfortable with like that level of sensation that dharmic or star family or archetypal connections create and not feel like, "Ah, I don't know what this means and feel shut down. So yeah, all of that is just in a way of like welcome that goddess of creativity (laughs) into the room as we start to talk about this album and your experience of creating it. So I mean, I'll, I'll pause there to just hear like, if anything came up for you as like important, or you want to say before I barrel on mm-hmm. into the, the land of goddess where I just always want to be. <laughs> no, I think what was so beautiful about what you were saying earlier, and then what you just said now reminded me of it was when you were just talking about like the industry, you know, like the music industry. And I think of it like, you know, I think of it like a big spell, like a big hypnosis of um Mm -hmm. like when i think of pop music and i like some pop music i'm not telling anyone what they're doing is wrong and there's this formulaic structure of like what chords you use and these chords Mm -hmm. do something to the chords in the body you know so like the notes and, and the structure of the notes and the structure of the chorus it brings something out of the nervous system it like formulates an emotional experience So it's literally like these tethers being pulled on the bodies of people to create something that feels sincere. And maybe it is. And I I never could make music that way ever, like just can't do it. So whenever music comes in for me, it's, it's really a spirit coming in and I'm following it. And by the Mm -hmm. time I'm done, then what's left over is what we call the song. Right. And Mm -hmm. when you said the piece, like, what you know when you share you hear my music in a very specific way and you've learned that from sharing it with others and how they hear it Eamon and I talk about this so often and we laugh and laugh and laugh because it's like there's such a small group of people who will hear anything I've ever written and like actually understand it and like feel it and all those people are people that don't have their minds in that binary of genre like it's just not there they love different genres, perhaps, but they don't. Something in their brains didn't quite get trained to like this is music, if you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. I, I just felt so seen when you said that, and and I appreciate it. And I have no interest in the music industry. When I moved to New York City, I was chasing like the 1960s like folk village scene, which wasn't the industry; it was more like a movement, like a spiritual thing. And as I was getting closer to the industry, I was noticing, and especially it came true when I was on tour with Rasputina, that's when I really found out 
oh, I don't want this. Like, that's not what I'm going <laughs> for. <laughs> you know? Like I'm going for something much more personal and sacred yeah. and sincere than something replicated, if you will. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's part of it. Like when you were talking, I was thinking like, well, what's it for me? Like, where does it come from? It's like, well, this willingness to take a journey. Like I moved out yes. here and I, I I heard about this person. I never met her, but just heard from a friend of a friend, a story about a person who was named Journey. And I was like, damn, if I had like <laughs> thought that could be my name and I wasn't already taken, that would be the perfect <laughs> name for what my energy is like really a hell yes to is let's take a journey. And why, yes. what a lot of my own embodiment trauma has been is to make eye contact or to start to talk with someone with my mouth, which I've learned there's a lot going on with this, my throat chakra, like other dimensionally would immediately initiate a journey and then the ways in which people shut that down who are not a yes to taking a journey. So I've described it as feeling like an electrical fence or a taser, like to my nervous system that like I start to flow and in my flow and I want to flow together. And the way that this sort of shock and shock and shock and shock, that's like, no, 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 not that, not that either, not that either. And so it's, you have to kind of It's like if you go to a ceremony and what I love about certain kinds of medicine is like when you take the cup in your hands, you're giving permission, like this ultimate consent to these medicine beings or the goddess or however you contextualize it. And you are on their trip until she is done. Mm. And I love to that level of surrender because it means that a lot, we can touch really deep places and heal really deep wounds without shutting down because you can't, there's the time and the space in the container to shut down and then we're, and then reopen that or deconstruct that or learn from that and go all the way. So there's something about your album where I feel in albums, but just that one in particular, I can get down with like as a complete experience in a very natural feeling way is the kind of the same where I don't, I mean, there's always the smaller narrative of a song, but I like when I have a sense that the person created the album with a start to finish experience in mind and where if I go on that journey, I like where I end up. And it's sort of David Lynch, like the movies themselves. If you take pieces of them, it's just like, what the hell even is this? But it's just, it's the energetic transmission where if you just watch the whole movie and really give yourself to the ride, I always end up not on his ride actually at all or in his frequencies, but returned to myself somehow where I just feel inspired to go make my work. I don't feel inspired to try to like be like you or have the experiences that you had, but I'm just like, oh, I want to like get in the studio and like Mm -hmm. get into that level of depth with myself. So I think, so you're saying you. that well no you saying that piece about the journey I have to just highlight that that's such a beautiful way to put it um I, I often think of Joanna Newsom in this context where yeah, you, totally right <laughs> where it's like you're on a journey with track one to the very last track and it takes you into your body into all these different landscapes and places and most people listen to music they listen to music to kind of like have it in the background. It's not the thing mm-hmm. that's dry, like pulling them somewhere. So to be yeah. someone that uses music as medicine, like you're talking about here, that that's a profound truth for me. That's a good way to put it. 
Mm, I'm going to p- bounce it back, roll it around and bounce it back to you a little bit. Cause what I heard there or what I thought of is people who do use music to journey, but they use music to journey to specific states of expanded, rarefied kind of Buddha fields or higher consciousness or, or just unconditional love, which is really beautiful. I think that's, it's a wonderful practice and like a tool in your bag as someone who's, who's wanting to heal your nervous system or your body. But I don't like want to judge ever where someone's at in their journey. So sometimes you are in a place with your trauma where you are not able to turn directly and face it with any amount of support. You need time off planet. You need time under anesthesia. You need time in medicine realms or bliss kind of practices just to even restore any willingness whatsoever to continue being or being conscious. And like, that is okay. Like the pandemic was Mm -hmm. sitting in a parking lot and I saw somebody, I don't know drug culture very well, but by what he was working with, I would assume it was probably crack. It was like a big piece of tin foil and something burning under it. And I just watched this person get out of work, get in their car, smoke some crack in their car, put the music on and just... I watched their whole body experience relief and I could feel all his pain and he had tinted windows and he couldn't tell I was there eating a taco, also trying to escape some family dynamics, you know, (laughs) and I just had this moment of empathy Mm. and just compassion. Like I've never had, I've been so judgmental drugs versus medicine, but just kind of being like, it's totally wonderful to have a specific goal or need for like what you, where you want music to take you or what you're willing to experience And then not everybody wants music to take them deep into their body because there's something gnarly in their body that they don't have the resources to deal with. But once you become more resourced, I just think it's a, it's a, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. Wonderful multidimensional way of learning about Mm -hmm. other people and other walks of life and other people's experiences by being willing to set aside that even the question of like, do I like this or do I think it sounds good? And just have letting yourself have the experience. I'm so glad you shared that experience you had in the parking lot, because I I really (laughs) don't believe I don't believe in good or bad. I truly don't. I believe something feels bad. And I believe that sometimes we are doing something that feels bad for someone else or could hurt somebody else. But I don't go into the good or bad. And and I also don't go there with medicine, just like you're saying. And this especially has been informed from the trauma work because I'm really understanding at the end of the day as physical bodies, we're just a bundle of nerves that are looking for safety to orient to. Like that's what we're doing in our physical bodies, right? So whether it's crack or a taco or listening to <laughs> <laughs> or listening to like 90s music or smoking pot, like whatever it is, the nervous system is just desperately trying to find safety and regulate itself. And if that happens in a predictable manner, because this kind of music enlightens your body a bit, gorgeous. That's where you're at. If it happens in a matter where you're like, take me on a journey, I want to see what's in my body. Gorgeous. That's where you're at. But the word that you use that is so important for me is capacity. And I love that word so much. It's become like my favorite word to live by because it's not hierarchical. It's not about levels. It's literally about space. It's like, how much space do I have in my body to withstand a sensation? It's like that simple. And so if, if we're understanding everything based on capacity, just like you talked about music, I'm coming to understand loved ones, my partner, my child, myself around that term of 
oh, I can't expect them to give me what I want or be the formula music I want them to be. What's their capacity in this moment? And what's my capacity in this moment? And it's just like this Mm -hmm. constant shifting awareness, right? Of how are we even able to connect in this moment versus the shoulds or versus expectation? Mm, That's been a real epiphany of just this recent period where I was, yeah, death and rebirth journey through the seasons. That's what I do. That's my my work. That's living the wheel of the year. But then it's like, oh, what happens when like (laughs) you go through winter and like, you don't come back, you stay down there, mm. oh, uh-oh, you know, and just, just seeing like there's different phases of life. So there's phases of life where you might be like in a death cycle for five years, you know? And so in this like, okay, I think I need to stay here. What that's been about is just really really taking the invitation for rehabilitation that 2020 represented and for especially for anybody who's in like intersectional or mixed race embodiment or communities that you know there's so much like oh call out culture or cancel culture and it's so toxic and bad and everyone's just so angry and that's a problem Ah, all, all the perspectives are true in some way, but I had some help with a dear sister to just kind of say, yeah, but can you like, reminding me, can you listen to like what's being said underneath the words? And it was, oh yeah, I think it's being said. My own racial traumas are preventing me from holding space without shutting down and from holding space for people with more severe racial traumas than me. And when you shut down in the face of someone's plea for support, that makes a lot of room for stories about your beliefs, about the perception of racial bias, you know, is a word that I I kind of latched onto because as I've continued to go deeper into undoing racism and different training, the mere perception of racial bias for a person with racial trauma is enough to initiate a full-blown response in their body as if they were experiencing the thing, whether or not they're experiencing the thing. And that's just how trauma works, is that there's a memory in your body and you think it's happening now. So all of that- The word perception you just used, that's the key word, right, with trauma. Because even like the definition of some, like in somatic psychology, the definition of trauma is real or perceived threat. And so it's exactly what you're saying. If you perceive a threat, your body goes into threat response. And based on how many threats you've endured, that threat response is bigger and bigger every time. Yeah. And so what I've decided in my sense of, oh, you know what? There actually was like a real invitation in the words underneath the words to to heal something that maybe I didn't even know how to heal or that I didn't think that there was people who knew how to heal or that I would have the opportunity to to be that vulnerable to go into. And, And 2020 has given me that by like taking away a lot of like illusory dharmas. And what I have landed on is somewhere in the void is understanding it's just time for me to go to a deeper level of really embodying a lot of the knowledge and a lot of the practices around nonviolent communication and around, you know, this idea of food, music, dance, sound, silence as a bundle, as a mandala of things that when experienced together can help restore our capacity for right relationship. It's like, yes, I was embodying it at the level that I could at the time and helped a certain number of people who could be helped at that level. But it's time to go deeper and be able to hold space for more and for especially conflict as potentially 
part of healthy intimacy and that there's actually like such a thing as conflict intimacy and that it can be transformational and all of that. So all of that is to say this somatic lens that has just lit up as the way forward for me has given me a lot of insight into things happening in my my intimate relationship where I'm just like, oh, I get it. A lot of times I'm, I get full of experience sooner because I have a child and I'm like momming and have a, a business and I have more responsibilities. And so sometimes I'm full and I don't have any more capacity and they have more capacity and are feeling expansive and want to connect. And those are the spaces of we can have everything in common. And yet we still somehow find these spaces where we're not in common in that moment. And that's where the kinds of habitual more comes in. And so just having that language, like you said, said that it is not hierarchical and it's not like I am better and I'm more enlightened. And then, yeah, you know, you're whatever. Um, it's just, it's just so truly what is, uh, has nothing to do with how much we love each other, or how healthy the relationship is. It's been an epiphany that just in the past, like, I would say 10 days, mm. I've come to land on this, this place that's even more releasing of blame in, in the, the dynamics we get into. It's so, it's so important. No, we, we just mm. said it's so gorgeous. It's such a great example, just like your personal one of like momming, running a business, your own nervous system, your own unique expression of energy and holding energy. Those if your capacity is lower for sensation because of that output of those other like really profound, satisfying or overwhelming experiences, you simply don't have capacity for sensation. And I think it's so gorgeous when we can really understand that somatically, because before we understand that somatically, we go into judgment. That's where we go into like, oh, you're intimacy adverse, or that's where we go into um, this must be an autistic spectrum you're on, or we go all these kind yeah. of like t- terms we have for why someone's failing at connecting when really yeah. they're actually like abundant with thriving with connection and so much we're like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> and so for me, yeah. I think it's so gorgeous to, to like reorient or just really understanding the somatics of capacity that is not about choice. It's about the nature of the body. And that comes into like another surrender. I'm surrendering to my body's nature is showing me through sensation and responses and behaviors and reflexes when it's at capacity. Do I listen or do I dominate through that, you know, out of shame? And I think that's a, that has changed my life in the last like two years, especially. Hmm. Interesting. This is what this two years has been for us all. So I think that maybe we have time for like one more deep dive question along these lines and so some of my other questions maybe we'll have to wait for another episode <laughs> in the future with you oh yeah and um, totally available for so i want to keep interweaving this with the music i think they think that's going to be the, the theme of this we're going to stick with that for this episode so going to go back to the band camp description or the, of your album that reads, the result is a one-man schizophrenic theater piece that chants, sings, screams, cries, and moans its way through 10 songs that tell a very complex story about rejecting the feminine. So I know it's more than that, but I'm going to add for this these purposes that 
It kind of feels like an epic poem to me in not unlike the Irish Celtic Imrana or Yachtre traditions that recount other dimensional initiations that bring about soul level growth and evolution. And within that framework, I want to take a minute here to kind of to set up the next question, which will likely be our, our final question. So if it's cool with you, it would involve you like holding space for me to set it up a little. This is some storytelling. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Many of our listeners are aware that I have been a lifelong mythology enthusiast and my study began in earnest in middle school when my grandparents gave me a hardcover copy of Joseph Campbell's The Power of Myth. And after a series of traumatic events that included severe bullying and my childhood home burning to the ground, Carolyn Miss's book, Anatomy of the Spirit, found me somewhere around age 15. So next came Jean Shinoda Bolin's Goddesses in Every Woman and Clarissa Pinkola Estes' Women Who Run with the Wolves. And I feel that this was, you know, one of many, but a real major lifeline uh, for me. And I was hooked on this archetypal medicine that was being offered by these foremothers of the Western women's spirituality movement, as it's been called. Of course, it's much older than that and belongs to no continent. And things got more serious for me in my 30s when a new friend of mine who was a practicing yogini came over for some temple time. And we sat at the altar, but casually, and the, the soles of our feet were innocently touching, and we were just talking about our, our different relationships to the goddess. And it turned out she was unaware that she had a developing capacity within herself to give tantric transmissions via touch. So wherever she was at, which is at a superior level of uh, attainment of tantric sadhanas at the time, was fully transmitted to me and neither of us knew what was going on. And I woke up in the middle of the night with one of the most powerful visions of my entire life. You know, that includes like lots of ayahuasca, lots of peyote and other things. So no medicine, just went to bed. Most powerful vision of my life where the whole ceiling of my bedroom was gone and there was an enormous, dense, powerful, writhing, breathing, mandalic form of the goddess hovering in place, in the place of the ceiling. And now, of course, like it was a, a writhing mandala, it had no gender, but through this clairsentient transmission, I understood that it was a goddess. It was the goddess, the divine mother in her form of the medicine of the forest floor. So if you imagine you go out into the forest and there's that deep, unmistakable forest smell, and it's this synthesis of every animal and plant and tree and fungi that's ever lived and died in these woods. And so I was overwhelmed and humbled by the beauty and the power. And for the first time, I understood this relationship between fear and reverence that I'd previously identified as some Christian, put the fear of God in you kind of BS. So I immediately sought formal initiation with her teacher uh, into this tradition that my yogini friend was studying and spent the next seven years exploring what the tantric traditions know about reality, consciousness, the feminine, the divine mother, the goddess. And the result has been developing like a lot of my own language or also finding resonance in um, language from an older, more intact culture around this divine feminine or goddess as a spectrum and that my life tends, seems to happen at the place on the spectrum where Kali becomes Matangi. So it's just full on Kali is really just for like really serious 
moments where I'm not going willingly or like more than I'm comfortable with is needed, but I dwell more comfortably in the Matangi. And from my own perspective, from practice, from study, different tantric traditions of which there's over 80 that have different opinions about these things, I found this, I have found that Matangi is Jurema, is Artemis, is Vanadurga, is Diana. It's just, it's the queen of the forest. And, you know, if queen doesn't work for you because she's wearing rags or whatever, the Orisha traditions will say the owner of the forest, meaning she's responsible for everything that happens here. It's not fancy. And so one of my favorite journeys to take with you musically has been your song, Diana. And as much as, you know, Bandcamp is describing your album as a rejection of the feminine, I think you would agree that it goes on to describe a subsequent reclamation of the feminine. And so in Tantra, it's sometimes said to know the goddess, we must become the goddess. Mm. So all of this is kind of set up, set up, set up, set up to help you like maybe translate and hear where I'm coming from with this question of, for me, from my perspective, to write a song like that would represent a period of devotional practice that would result in holy communion, darshan, or mutual recognition and embodiment. So. Another little layer to add in is just, you know, important to share that in the Shakta and Kaula traditions, a yogini is not a female practitioner of yoga. The term predates the practice of yoga asana and refers to folks who are studying practices that lead to goddess embodiment. So in these traditions, although less common and requiring some different practices uh, specifically to subdue the male ego, men can absolutely be yoginis too. So, you know, I don't want to just dive in ever and just be like, I see you as a yogini, you know, <laughs> because we think of that as me being feminine or meaning something. And that's just absolutely not what I'm saying. But that also that's what I'm saying. I see you as a yogini. And so it's a great honor in those traditions to be accepted into those kinds of spaces um, and to be considered safe to be in those kinds of spaces. So from this paradigm, if it resonates with you or, you know, could be adjusted or tweaked to resonate with you for the purposes of translation of these ideas across cultures, I formally and respectfully invite you to share with our audience about goddess Diana, her qualities, her realm, her responsibilities, your relationship to her and how she shows up for you in your life and in these times hmm. i mean you said so many things that to me were like all all i needed to hear <laughs> you know felt very settling and connecting and when you said about understanding the goddess you must become the goddess what was so magical about diana especially in that song was i had the most it might have been the most visceral dream of my life i don't tend to dream sensationally my dreams are very like visual. And then I wake up like I just saw a movie. But this one was so, it was like beyond a dream. You know, I was, it was in it, every fiber of me. And what was so powerful about it was I was unwrapping Diana from almost like a mummified version, you know, from these like cloths, these like rags, these old ancient bandages as I unwrapped each limb or each part of her body and she was uh, in child form, there were all these letters written on her skin to me that were saying things like, why did you leave me? Mm. 
why would you why would you reject me like it was so like in it was so painful to read the and i was weeping as i undid these bandages all over her body all over my body and you know Eamon's dolls very well and it was this it kind of was it became like a living doll one of these dolls that Eamon had at the time that was this blonde curly haired very like beautiful theoric otherworldly face and it, it was this intense moment of like goddess embodied and it's beyond words the most the i guess the, the best i could answer as you're saying this was when i think of diana De- De- i say diana sometimes diana when i think of one goddess i feel them all right it's like ice like when you think of water you know i think of yamaya and then i see the raindrops and then i see the sacred wells and then i see the breath from person to person, how this is one droplet is constantly being shared amongst people. Still frozen will you 
For me, Diana in that song was everything. Coming to me as a gift and showing me all the ways I rejected the gift because of, for me, again, my experience was this male-dominated culture I grew up in uh, where it was dangerous to be feminine or to be open to the feminine. And it was interesting how my body was born you know, biologically into the feminine. So I even though my mind wanted to not see it, it was, it was me. It was my bones and my chromosomes and my DNA. So I know this is a very abstract answer because it can't be, it cannot, can't not be. Uh, and again, for me, when I think of Diana, like I think of any goddess, I feel that visceral sensation of, oh my God, there she is in me. Oh my goddess, there she is in me. Like I feel the center and it doesn't ever really leave. It's like when I see a tree and I have a very sexual relationship with nature, you know, like the moment I'm my bare feet touch the ground, like talk about Tantra energy, the transmission is so instantly through my entire body. And it's like, my body is the goddess. It's not even my body. I don't even own it at that point. Right. It's not mine. And so I'm just throwing that all out at you. And I'm curious what you're hearing or feeling, because that's where it goes for me. Well, I think when you talked about nature, you know, it's the more like linear answers, like, you know, what's goddess Diana to you? And you're, you're describing an experience or where you go, where you feel that way. And it's in nature. And there's a song that I, I really like the whole album really. Um, that, you know, again, I try to play it for other people and they're sort of like, I don't get it. Or like, they're like, oh, this is like really good. This is like kids music. And I'm like, sure, however you want to hear it, it definitely speaks to my innocence. But one of the whole songs is just like, (laughs) 
good in nature you know and it's just like yeah that is there's to be said and it's not that more complicated that's yes. just this is this is it and so this idea of like the goddess of the forest that's a later concept or you know that it's like feminine and it's a woman yes. and she has her bow and arrow and she has her phalanxes of beings who who follow her or she protects the the virgins the the innocents in the forest in her impenetrable realm and all of these things they're to help you know it's iconography and my understanding you know because a lot of people don't need iconography they can translate vibrations and so they find all of that ridiculous or limiting but i think that for me i have a lot of space for all of that because well yes but then we all remember and forget so when we're in a state of forgetting or closer to forgetting then the iconography help oh okay literally all the women i know who live in the forest have like a bow and arrow hanging over their bed so it's like why why is <laughs> that you know it's like it's to help people recognize where you are and how to behave and mm. what constitutes respect it's like helps us access these akashic documents that we've I created think, i think so. what you're saying is is like it's, it's bringing something up for me like a piece of clarity because it's like when you were saying forgetting that's what was really bringing it up for me it's so easy to forget lineage stories and icons and myth stories because just like you're saying, it's our desperate attempt at organizing something abstract. That's all it is at the end of the day. And so when I think of, again, when I think of the somatic work that's brought me so much deeper into the goddess as well, you can't forget a feeling. If that feeling is in you and you're connecting to it, there's no remembering it. It's there. I either notice it or I don't. And I'm becoming so much more drawn and I think it's based on capacity as well. Also having a child in a business and such. I'm so much more drawn now to sensational experiences instead of recollecting them in a linear mental way. It's like I don't have the mm. energy even to hold the stories as much. It's kind of like I just want to go straight to the place of, oh, that's where I feel it. So when you said that, it really brought that up for me. Even around how I see Diana. That's how I see Diana. I feel her. I feel them. Well, that's I feel funny. <laughs> I'm remembering that all of this was right there in our first conversation. And that's kind of how I recognize that I'm on my, my path or that we're like in something real is I consider like there's only one conversation that's ever being had between like Shiva and Shakti, between spirit and that everything that we considered spiritual epiphany or enjoyable because we somehow tuned in to that mm. conversation. Mm. And we got the next snippet. So every time I'm in ceremony, it's just like the next chapter of the last ceremony even. And yes. so for Met, I remember us, you and me and Eamon having a conversation about like remembering past lives. And I think I said to you, what do you remember? And you were kind of, I don't know about that word, remember even then, but you're kind of like, and so I think I was, all right, like, what do you resonate? with and, and you know and you were saying something about who's very creaturely experienced creatures digging in the dirt close to the earth with like claws and whatever so you were you were this was your the same thing uh just being like i i like it better when it's like experiential and i have more you know you could call it memories in my body then i'm i i like to roll around in the memories in my body more than the ones that are just in my mind um kind of just that Oh, thanks for um, remembering. I want to highlight. That's <laughs> so cool that you remember that. I, I, I'm feeling 
my body's taking me there now. Is that the time we were in Eamon's room on the bed? Is it could have been. I kind of getting confused between that day and, <laughs> and the day in my apartment on the couch just because, like, we didn't hang out very many times. So they're kind of the, just the like the bed felt time. gooey. Like I feel this gooeyness. I'm like, Oh yeah, the bed. So either yeah, way, I love it. that. I love that. Yeah. Well, I do think we have to start wrapping up so we can honor <laughs> your time. And I, I sincerely invite this to be a, a to be continued conversation. So thank you for being here with us today and a formal thank you to all of the benevolent beings in all the realms who've gathered here today to inspire and direct the flow of this ritual of communication. We dedicate any merits accumulated through this work to the benefit of all sentient beings. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be well. May all beings know joy and not suffer. Jai Ma. Namaste. Blessed be. Aho. Gautamayagit. Ha Hom. Thank you. Great spirit. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm very full. This was so beautiful. I feel very honored. If you enjoyed this conversation, we invite you to head over to your feed on Patreon, where I'm speaking with Luis about one of the top questions we hear in which school, how to tell the difference between the voice of our intuition and the voice of our trauma response speaking to us as triggers. If you're not yet a member, you can click the Library of Earth Magic link in our show notes today to explore all the benefits of membership. This is where you can find recipes for all those yummy gut health friendly treats we've shared about over on our Instagram, bonus episodes with our podcast guests, and hundreds of other Skillshare workshops, discount codes, and patrons only merchandise like our Real Cosmico t-shirt with a design commissioned by contemporary medicine folk painter Paula Duro. Patrons at the Lavender level and up also receive free access to our seasonal live online Green Magic Fellowship Circles to connect with our international community of heart-centered earth tenders walking this good green road. As always, thank you for listening. It's a pleasure getting well with you. Her heart from turning hollow where a yearning
my heart stands a candle muffled by its own old wax and at your heart lies a pile of cedar wood steeped in water in her heart had it sparked would have burned in all igniting fire I'm opening the old spark screen I'm growing out of sorrow So I take to cleaning Always dusting around the bellows For you
life had left your body and turned stark white. I kissed your native cheeks, then you blinked and wrote green. You had your mother's eyes, two skinny legs like branches soon to break. Letters on your heart. I lay my salty, salty face down on your womb I cried life back into your empty shell like a I am called back to the world of the living And I lay on my back and stare at your warm body breathing I lay on my back and stare at the stain on our ceiling If they never kissed my red beard Then this is just another song of glory 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 just another song. 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 